Shalom Mishpocha. Welcome to Kadima Leadership Talks. I'm Rabbi Eric Carlson, and we're so glad that you're here. I want to continue on talking about leadership traits today, and I want to specifically talk about personal spiritual growth. These are areas in our life that we always have to be growing. We always have to be learning. We have to have a teachable spirit to keep moving forward in the kingdom of God. And there's numerous principles to this as we continue to develop our spiritual growth and create the atmosphere for the presence of God, for the Ruach HaKodesh, for Yeshua to live within us. First one we want to do is keep sharp. Ecclesiastes 10.10 said, if the hatchet's iron blade is blunt and its user doesn't sharpen it, he will have to exert more effort, but the expert has the advantage of his skill. And so we see here that we have to keep sharp in the kingdom. It requires more work and greater effort if we're not on our toes in the kingdom of God. We have to keep spiritually sharp. We have to keep physically sharp. We have to be in the word. We have to mine it every day and keep ourselves honed and focused upon the Lord God of Israel. We must be an expert upon the word, the kingdom of God, and the things of heaven and by doing so, we keep ourselves sharp and focused. We have to next stay on the cutting edge. Kingdom innovation. Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 19 says, Stop dwelling on past events and brooding over times gone by. I'm doing something new. It's springing up. Can't you see it? I'm making a road in the desert, rivers in the wasteland. Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Adonai and his kingdom are always in motion, always moving. The kingdom of God is never static. We must move with it. Revelation 21 discusses a new heaven and a new earth with a new Jerusalem descending upon the physical Jerusalem and earth here and Yeshua establishing his reign upon this earth. Heaven and the kingdom of God are never static. If you are static, you're not moving with God. I know so many people that dwell on past events. I've seen so many 50 or 100-year anniversaries of some supernatural thing that happened 100 years ago or 50 years ago. Millions, 20, 30, 40 million dollars spent on these things because they're commemorating some revival of 100 years ago. And they thought, well, if we do the same exact thing, we'll have revival today. That never works. Why is that? Because that's yesterday's manna. You can't recreate something done 5, 10, 15, or 100 years ago and expect it to work today because God's not where he's at today where he was there 50, 10, or 100 years ago. So we have to stay focused, stay sharp, and keep moving and going towards where God is going because he's always moving. He's not static. Next, Adonai desires you to live in his presence. Psalms 25, verse 14, it says, Adonai relates intimately with those who fear him. He makes them know his covenant. You got to remember this. We have two kingdoms at work, the kingdom of God and Hasetan's kingdom. The kingdom of God is, is one of life. It's one of salvation. It's eternal. Hasetan's kingdom is darkness and wickedness. He's selling bankrupt stock. He's already defeated. Listen to me, Mishpocha. I say this all the time, and people kind of confuse me. They look at me. Hasetan has no power. Yeshua defeated him 2,000 years ago. When Yeshua returns, he's going to jail for 1,000 years. Hasetan will be in prison for 1,000 years. He has no power. He can only lie and deceive to you, and you buy into it and act upon it. If you don't act upon the schemes of the enemy— then he has no authority or control in your life. Remember, for him to operate in your life, you have to give him the authority to do so, and he does so with temptation and sin in our lives. You cannot fail here unless you quit. 
Adonai's presence has to do with lifestyle, with creating the atmosphere for his presence. Unity releases the presence, fire, and the glory of God. It's his desire that a body be prepared for his son. His presence, as David so powerfully understood in Psalms 51, verses 10 and 11, he said, create in me a clean heart, God. Renew in me a resolute spirit. David's talking about tenacity, a resolute spirit to not give up, to keep pressing in, to pray until something happens. He said, create in me a clean heart, a circumcised heart, a renewed heart, a contrite heart, and renew in me a resolute spirit. Verse 11, don't thrust me away from your presence. Don't take your Ruach Kodesh away from me. So David understood a concept that we must maintain today, that we develop an atmosphere for his presence, to create that atmosphere that he lives within us because we are his holy temple. There are five things that I want to share here in a limited amount of time that short circuit his presence and causes division. Number one is haughtiness and pride. John Fox, the great Protestant reformer and founder of the Presbyterian denomination, once said, you can't antagonize and influence at the same time. As Messianic believers, we must not antagonize, look down upon, or be haughty towards those who we are seeking to reach and be united with. As my friend Rabbi Eric Tokager stated, you can't clean a fish until you catch it. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19 says, There are six things the Lord hates, no, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord among brothers. In Luke 18, verses 10 through 15, it says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a perush, the other a tax collector. The perush stood and prayed to himself, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, immoral, or like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on my entire income. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes toward heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, sinner than I am. I tell you, this man went down to his home right with God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. So God hates division. He hates lying tongue, haughty eyes. He detests those that kill the innocent and plots evil. We must be humble before the Lord and not get caught up in pride and arrogance. The next one is offense. The Lord hates offense. Proverbs 18, verse 19, this is harder to win an offended brother than a strong city. Their fights are like the bars of a fortress. Listen to me. I'm going to say this in love. A mature believer cannot be offended. A mature believer cannot be offended or wronged. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, Yeshua said, How blessed are those who are persecuted because they pursue righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. How blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and tell you all kinds of vicious lies about you because you follow me. Rejoice, be glad, verse 12, because your reward in heaven is great. They persecuted the prophets before you in the same exact way. Listen, have you been wronged? I'll tell you, every believer has been, will be, or you're currently in a position or place that you don't deserve. Blame for or held accountable for something you had nothing to do with, something that wasn't your fault. We have a choice in this place, a decision to make. Will you spend great effort and energy trying to clear your name and character, or will you let the Lord be your vindicator and focus upon what can be? I promise you, after 20 years in ministry, I've experienced it. I can attest and witness it. Barb and I have been hurt so many times, I can't even count them. The injustice is hard to comprehend. 
as you pour yourselves out into people physically, spiritually, and even financially, they are given to the kingdom. Even if truth and justice is in our side, many past wrongs are now made right, and you've got to give it to the kingdom. You've got to be placed them under the blood. You've got to lay them on the altar. You must let them go, or you'll become resentful, bitter, and angry, which are destructive, which is a sin, and they make you a negative, angry, bitter person. If you connect yourselves to those wrongs and don't release it, it's like a soul tie. It's like an umbilical cord right to that wrong. And ironically, the people who wronged you, most of those are living a life of unknowingness. They don't know you've been offended or wrong. They're going through life with a spirit of joy. We, on the other hand, if you connect yourself to this and don't release it, you become angry, you become bitter, and you become ineffective to God. It's imperative that you lay down past wrongs upon the altar to release them so that you are no longer ensnared or trapped by them. This is a trap of the enemy. Forgive and forget, and you will be free. Let's look at an example in Job 42, verse 10. When Iov, Job, prayed for his friends, Adonai restored his fortunes. Adonai gave Job twice as much as he had before. After enduring nearly 40 chapters of criticism and condemnation from his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, Job now has the opportunity to get even, to clear his name, to let the truth be known. Job was in a position to redeem himself and give him a big fat, I told you so. But he doesn't. He lets go of vengeance and grudges and bitterness. Job let it go, forgave his friends, interceded and prayed for them. And what happened? God blessed Job with twice as much as he had before, but he had to release it. He had to let it go. He had to release his right in being wronged. The next is strife. Proverbs 15, 18, hot-tempered people stir up strife, but patient people quiet quarrels. Personal insecurity breeds jealous strife. Oftentimes, our security is based upon others' opinions or affirmation or acceptance from other people or organizations or even groups. When we feel rejected or unloved, we became dangerously insecure that leads us to perceive the strength of other people as threats of our own well-being. To battle this impediment of insecurity, we must turn to God through his word to tell of his unfailing love and acceptance. Your identity is in Yeshua and not of this world. It's not what other people think. It's not whether they accept you or not. In fact, Yeshua led a life of being what? Rejected. How many times did they try to kill him? How many places was he asked to leave? So if you want to be in good company and be like Yeshua, we have to be prepared to get ready for rejection. Not everyone wants to hear the message you have about the good news in the kingdom of God. What we have to do is separate it from our personal self, that it's not us personally, it's God they're rejecting. If you take it personally, you're forever going to be offended and causing strife. Let it go. Speak the message, sow the seed, you get victories, you get rejected. That's okay. We're not out to make lifelong friends. We're out to make disciples in the kingdom of God. To complete this task, we'll take active engagement in the battle through research, reflection, and prayer to seek our true identity in him and not cause strife. There's just a few passages here that confirm our identity in God. Psalms 13 verses 5 through 6 says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation in your Yeshua. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Psalms 48, verse 9, within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. 1 Samuel 12, 22, for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. 
What a promise. Psalms 27, verse 10, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. It doesn't matter if you come from a single-parent home. It doesn't matter that your parents rejected you as a child, that you don't have a relationship with them. The Lord will receive you. He is a father who never fails. You can put your trust in him. He will never abandon or forsake you. The next is gossip. Lashon Haran, the Hebrew Leviticus 19, verse 16 says, Do not spread slanders, gossip among your people. Do not try to get ahead at the cost of your neighbor's life, for I am the Lord. Proverbs 16, verse 28 says, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Proverbs 26, verse 20, Fire goes out for lack of fuel, and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. So there's nine rules here of Lashon Harak, gossip I want to talk about, because it's so easy to fall in the trap of as a leader. It's so easy when people come up and start sharing something. Hey, have you seen this or have you seen that? And the talk begins and it's so innocent at first, but it's actually dangerous and it's gossip, Lashon Hara. It's gossip, it's Lashon Hara to convey a derogatory image of someone, even if that image is true and deserved. It's slanderous to do so when the image is false. This is critical today in social media and Facebook and IG and Twitter. False and derogatory images are passed around all the time. This is Lashon Hara. Don't engage in it. It's Lashon Hara's gossip to share information about people that could cause them physical, psychological, or financial harm. To do so is vengeance, and the Lord says, vengeance is mine. I am your vindicator. It's not up to us to release derogatory information if someone's doing wrong. That's God's business. Just pray for that person. It's easy to see where the wrong, everyone can see where the wrong is. Everyone can point out the sin. It's the person who will pray for that person for righteous victory that will be an overcomer. It's Lashon Hara to embarrass people, even in jest, or to tell embarrassing things about them when they are not present or even when they are present. It's gossip. Number four, Lashon Hara is not limited to verbal communication. The written word, body language, innuendo, and the like can also be hurtful. By rolling your eyes and your body language, 85% of our communication is through body language. So we can engage in Lashon Hara and gossip by verbal communication or by the written word or body language. Number five, Lashon Hara to speak against a community, a race, ethnic group, gender, or age group as a whole. So we see this today in mass with our rioting and all the civil unrest we have here today. We have Black Lives Matter speaking out against Jewish people in a Jewish homeland. It's anti-Semitism. We've got to live together in harmony and unity and not speak against each other, against other races or ethnic groups. God made everyone in his own image. And it's gossip. It's Lashon Hara to speak against another community, race, or even an age group. We must stand in truth and justice and equality. Number six, do not relate Lashon Hara or gossip even to your spouse, close friends, or relatives. Don't engage in it. Don't share it with anybody. You can hear it, but you be the dam that stops it, the door that prevents it from going any further. Number seven, do not repeat Lashon Hara even when it's common knowledge because everyone knows it doesn't mean you should be engaged in it. Avoid Lashon Hara. Avoid gossip. Do not relate to people negative things others may say about them for this causes needless conflict and strife. Number nine, do not listen to Lashon Hara or gossip. Give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Look at everyone through the eyes of God. Every one of us was born a sinner. Let the one without sin, as Yeshua said, cast the first stone. As we move on to spiritual growth, it's important to be connected, to stay away from the lone wolf syndrome. So many today say that they've got a relationship with God, but they refuse to congregate together, to be committed to a kahila, to a congregation, yet we're commanded to do it. 
in the congregation in the Kehillah is healing and safety. James 5 verse 16 says, Therefore, open day, acknowledge your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Hebrews 10 verses 24 through 25, it says, let us keep paying attention to one another in order to spur each other on to love and good deeds. So in the congregation, we spur on each other, we edify each other, we encourage each other, we help each other. There's safety in the community and the power of the Kehelet, the congregation, is in the congregate. The power of the congregate is in the Kehelet, the congregation. If one puts a thousand to flight, what would 500 do? Put a million to flight. So we need to keep paying attention to one another in order to spur each other on to love and good deeds. Verse 25, not neglecting our own congregational meetings as some have made a practice of doing, but rather encouraging each other. And let us do this all the more as you see the day approaching. And those days are approaching now. So it's all the more important that we band together within our congregations to heal, to be restored, to be set free and prepare for that great and terrible day of the Lord. There are certain processes that increases God's presence in our spiritual growth. Number one I want to talk about is repentance and forgiveness. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive other their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will not forgive yours. Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22, Then Kepha, Peter, came up and said to him, Rabbi, how many times can my brother sin against me and have to forgive him? As many as seven times. And Yeshua said no, in verse 22, not seven times, but 70 times seven. So we must walk in a spirit of repentance and forgiveness. Repentance is to release, to turn from the sin that you were doing and turn back to God. Forgiving is release those who have offended and sinned against us. We have to come before Adonai with clean hands and a pure heart. We can only do that through a spirit of repentance and forgiveness. We have to walk in love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, there are three things that will endure, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, Therefore I, the prisoner united with the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Always be humble, gentle, and patient, bearing with one another in love, and making every effort to preserve the unity the Spirit gives through the binding power of shalom. Remember, there's no fear in perfect love. Love covers many sins. And bearing with one another in love allows us to preserve the unity the Spirit gives through the binding power of shalom by the absence of conflict. In the love, in the end, how will they know we are Yeshua's Talmudim? By our love for one another. This is critical. We must walk in love. Next, we must speak life, not death. Speaking positive, vice critical. Deuteronomy 13, verses 14 and 15. On the contrary, the word is very close to you. It's in your mouth and even in your heart. Therefore, you can do it. What a word of encouragement today. The word is close to you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. You can do it. Verse 15 says, look, I'm presenting you today with, on the one hand, life and good, and on the other hand, death and evil. So speak life. The word is close. It's in us. It's in our mouth. It's in our heart, a circumcised heart, so profound. James 3, verses 8 through 10 says, But the tongue no one can tame. It's an unstoppable and evil thing, full of death-dealing poison. With it we bless Adonai the Father, and with it we curse people who were made in the image of God. Verse 10 says, Out of the same mouth come blessings and cursings. Brother, it isn't right for things to be this way. Yeshua said, We will be held accountable and judged in the end days for every word we have spoken. 
people want to be around people who are energetic, who are positive, who are life-giving. So we must speak life, not death, and speak life into the world around us, speak life into the people around and under us, and be positive, not critical, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And most importantly, we need to keep working at it, to keep improving. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25 says, Now every athlete in training submits himself to strict discipline, and he does it just to win a laurel wreath, and that will soon wither away. But we do it to win a crown that will last forever. Our society suffers from destination disease. Too many people want to go and do just enough of what's required to get the bare minimum done. So many seek a shortcut. Remember, there's no shortcuts. There's no easy way out. People who look for quick fixes stop doing what's right when the pressure is relieved. Progress is more important than perfection. Let me say that again. Progress is more important than perfection. God's not looking for those who are perfect. He's looking for those who will make progress, who will grow, who will produce fruit, who will seek him, who will honor and obey and submit to him. That's what he's looking for. People who seek to improve themselves, their leadership skills and effectiveness make several processes a part of their daily life. One is preparation. And I've spoken about this a lot here in the recent months. When individuals are intentional about learning something every day, when they become better prepared to handle whatever challenges they meet, they will be effective leaders. Through daily prayer, quiet time, devotions, reading the word every day until the word of God becomes muscle memory. Here's the key. You'll fight the way you train. Practice makes perfect. Preparation folds into end-time eschatology. I've been incessant about this preparation, 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 spiritually, physically, and financially because we are in the end days. Next is contemplation. Time alone is critical for self-improvement and spiritual growth. It allows you to gain perspective, to ponder, to learn from your failures and shortcomings and your victories that you can learn from both of them. Contemplation Theoria in the Greek literally means to see God or to have the vision of God. Contemplation is tapping into that spiritual realm through prayer, fasting, and meditation upon Adonai. Contemplation develops and sharpens your relationship with Adonai, allowing you to remove the daily clutter and distractions so that you can clearly hear his voice, to have visions, dreams, and communicate clearly with him that you can have a plan and be ready for the future. And there must be application Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. Application is the action of putting something into operation, sustained effort, hard work. We must apply what we learn. James 1.25 says, But if a person looks closely into the perfect Torah, which gives freedom and continues becoming not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work it requires, then he will be blessed in what he does. Too many believers, too many people of the kingdom of God, too many leaders have head knowledge but they don't apply it in their life. Bruce Springsteen, this is going to sound crazy because this is a religious Kadima leadership talk, but Bruce Springsteen said a time comes when you need to stop waiting for the man you want to become and start being the man that you want to be. To do this, we have to deal with the dross. Lord gave me a download recently about dross in our life. Individual hindrances that are holding individuals back from the fullness of God's glory prevent spiritual growth. These are just a few of them. I've covered them here, but this is a synopsis. It's pride and haughtiness. It's addiction, smoking, drugs, alcohol, pornography, social media. It's not a lot. It's not the it's the inability to release control to him. It's buying have our hands and everything and not trusting in the Lord. It's about self-righteousness and haughtiness. It's about offense. If it's about unforgiveness, all these things are a summation of everything we've just talked about here in the last 35, 40 minutes. And we have to lay these on the altar 
and move forward in spiritual growth to be effective in the kingdom of God and to produce fruit. Remember, in the end, we must produce fruit, according to John 15, or we are cut off. And if you're producing fruit, he will prune you so you produce even more fruit. That is the hallmark of an effective leader. It's producing fruit. Mishpacha, there's been many things here this afternoon. It was like drinking from the fire hose, but I, I pray they resonate with you. I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom and shalom. Shalom.